Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is podcast 317. We're back in Corinth today, and I want to continue our study as we look at Corinth because of the culture of our day in present-day America, even in the South, the Bible Belt, the buckle of the Bible Belt, we have an ever more, ever-increasing secularization of American culture. We are running harder and farther away from God than we ever have been. Why, to even name the name of Christ in the halls of Congress today or in the White House today is almost an offense and an insult and is in many places to those who are occupying those places of power and walk through those corridors of power that we have established in our government. But the same is true in the church. You can go to many churches. You can listen on TV. And many times you will hear a message and never hear the name of Jesus. Sometimes you hear the name of Jesus over and over again to the point where it's flippant. And the reverence and distinction that goes with it, the fear of God himself that goes with the name of Jesus seems to have been lost. Well, what happened at Corinth that we can learn from to help us in this ever-increasing secular culture in which we're living? Well, you've got to remember, Paul went into this cosmopolitan city, and he went in with a determination. I want us to back up to two of the most exciting and insightful passages of Scripture in the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts because it is the transitional book from the resurrection and ascension of Jesus and the establishment of the church and how so many things that started in pattern became principle and then precept throughout the New Testament, the teachings of the apostles. But it's fascinating to see this formation and how the church of Jesus was established, how it was all Jewish for eight to ten years and how the basic practices of the Jewish people come out in the early life of the church. Sad that we separated ourselves from that and that our forefathers did that because we missed so much and just now beginning to gain back the teachings of our Judaic and Hebraic roots. So I want to talk to you about Corinth and what led to Paul's great change as he came to Corinth. So back up to chapter 17 and 18 of the book of Acts. They were at Thessalonica, a great move of God took place there. People's lives were changed, radically changed, and it caused a riot in the city. And the same thing that got the apostles in trouble will get us in trouble today if we preach like they do, that Jesus is exclusively the way to heaven. Yes, we preach inclusiveness. That is that anyone who has a desire and a will to come, we know God's drawing them and they can come. Whosoever will may come. There's just no guarantee that they'll want to, that they have a will. Because no man can come unto Jesus except the Father draw him. That's just the way it is. Now, that does, don't try to categorize me as this or that because you're going to really be disappointed when you find out that I don't fit into any of those categories. 
because you see, there is a category that we all need to fit into, and that's just teach and preach the Word of God as it's written. And so that's just what the Bible says. But when Paul and Peter and any of the apostles went anywhere, there was a shakeup going on. I just cannot read through the Bible, and especially the book of Acts and, and the epistles without seeing that everywhere that the gospel is preached with power and demonstration of the Spirit of God that changes people's lives, that everybody likes it. They didn't like it when Jesus, the perfect Son of God, came and stirred up a hornet's nest because he didn't do what everybody traditionally had done. It's amazing that we somehow today feel like it's our responsibility to be liked by everybody when the Lord Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. And it seems like it's the goal of many pastors for everybody to like them. Well, if you're going to be in the ministry and you're going to uh, stand for truth, I assure you, there's some people that you don't need to like you because they're enemies of the cross of Christ. All we can do is be faithful to follow the purpose and the calling that God's put upon our lives. And so when Paul was at Thessaloniki, revival broke out. Same thing at Berea. The people from Thessaloniki followed Paul and the great move of God that went to Berea there. You see, that's the way many enemies of God will do. They'll follow you around. So that's what happened there. So they sent Paul on ahead to Athens, and he was there alone waiting on uh, Silas and Timothy to come. And the Bible says his spirit was provoked within him, and he went out and did classic apologetics. He really did. He went out the marketplace, and he debated with the people there. He used all of the relevant illustrations, and that's the message we call the message about the unknown God and all that. Here's the thing that happened at the end of that. Not very much. And so the Apostle Paul tried the philosophy route. He tried the apologetics route. He tried the trying to debate somebody into the kingdom of God, which you cannot do. Now, that's not to mean that we are never to debate. We are never to persuade. We are to do that. But when it all comes down to it, sooner or later, you've got to get around to what got Paul turned off in Athens, and that is the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's right. The Scripture says in Athens, when he started talking about the resurrection, they just turned him off. You see, you can sit and debate about things all you want to, but when it comes to what will change your life, people will either listen or they'll turn you off. They turned him off there. And I think God did something in Paul and showed him something there that forever changed his ministry. The next place he went was to Corinth. When he went to Corinth, I want to read to you what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come to you with excellence of speech, that is, with high-minded, preeminent speech and wisdom, Sophia, declaring unto you the testimony. He was a martyr. He was the, that's the word for testimony or witness. But I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus the Messiah and him crucified. Jesus the Christos and him crucified. Now that's very important because he had preached Jesus as the creator. As important as that is, that's not going to save people. You see, only the cross of Jesus and his substitutionary atonement can save people. Only his resurrection proves that he is indeed the son of God and his message and his words, his deeds are validated by the resurrection from the dead. He said, I didn't come to you in uh, wisdom like I did. 
is unsaid, but like I did in Athens, I didn't come to you with excellency of speech. Man, that's great rhetoric that he had there in Athens on Mars Hill. But he said, I was rather with you in weakness. That The word there's the word to have no strength. He said, I was just absolutely limber. I was weak-kneed when I was around you and in much trauma. That's the word trembling is the word trauma. He said, I was traumatized. But he said, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power. And he said, this is the reason that your faith, your trust should not be in the wisdom of men, my arguments, my rhetoric, my preaching skills, but in the power of God. Now, this is fascinating. Now, I'm going to take about five, seven minutes here to tell you a story. It's very brief. I mean, I'm talking about a very short summary of the full story. You'll read about it, God willing, very soon. I want to tell you about this. I had come to the point in my own life and ministry in the mid-90s to where I just didn't know, really, if I was going to make it. I didn't know God had used me in many, many ways. God had helped me to build churches. God had helped me to strengthen churches and all those kind of things. But I'm telling you, I just felt like something was missing because I was in the religious South. I'd been on the mission field some, but I had never really gone somewhere and watched the power of the gospel change people's lives that had not already heard it to some degree or another in the religious South. And I was sick of business meetings and all that that brings about and the political shenanigans and the power structures and power control of the South. And I was sitting on the Hiawassee River really just writing out to God how bitter I was in my heart for how some things had gone and the way I'd been treated. I was just having a pity party. And I said to the Lord, I said, God, does the gospel still work as it did in the New Testament? Now, I'd seen God save a lot of people, baptized even at that time, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people people. God only knows how many. The churches that I had pastored, many had led what we call the associations of Southern Baptists in the areas where I had been. Nobody doubted the emphasis on evangelism that I had, but I still felt empty because a lot of the people that I was baptizing had already made professions of faith. I wanted to see if God could still work where no foundation had been laid. And so sitting on that bank of the Hiawassee River at the end of my rope, I said, God, will you send me somewhere? I don't care if it's the end of the earth to where I can see if the gospel still works. Now, I wasn't thinking about going to a mission field or anything like that. But within uh, just a couple of weeks out of the blue, I got a call from San Diego, California to a church there that had been a great church at one time, but had just gotten down to nothing. And they called me and asked me would I come. And, and I'm telling you, it was like an incredible opportunity, but I was somewhat frightened because there again, I just asked God to send me to the end of the earth if he needed to. And San Diego's not the end of the earth, but you can see it from Mission Beach. I'm telling you, it's a long way from Tennessee, Georgia, North Carolina, Alabama, Florida, especially North Florida. So in the providence of God, we ended up in San Diego. And people told me before I went, said, you're crazy for going out there. There's nobody there but lost people. I'm not kidding you. That's what a couple of guys told me from seminary. Uh, Tony, don't go out there. They're just lost people there. Well, that's what I was looking for. And I know lost people are everywhere, but man, there's a lot of lost people in Southern California. It wasn't popular to go to church there. And uh, many told me, said, you'll never make it. You're not anything like Rick Warren, and I'm not. God didn't make me Rick Warren. He made me who I am, and so I went out there, country boy, 
But I did make up my mind that I was going to be who God had created me to be and was going to put on airs and I was going to be true to the gospel, to preach the gospel of Jesus. And I said, God, if you can do this, I want you to show yourself strong and save people just by the preaching of the gospel, nothing fancy. Well, folks, let me just tell you, it was an absolute miracle. God did so many things I wish I could have time to tell you. And again, I'm writing these things down, and so you're going to read something. But I saw the hand of God. I baptized at least 25 people in the years that I was there in San Diego that I started witnessing to them and sharing Jesus with them from general revelation. I'm talking about they had never seen a Bible, literally never seen a Bible and held a Bible in their hands. They knew knew none of the language of Zion. They didn't know any of the words. They they didn't know what a pastor was. I had a man, brilliant. He went to the University of California, San Diego. He was working uh, on scientific projects and he was was just amazed. He said, tell me what a pastor does. I've always heard the term pastor. So how's that different from a priest? And just went on and on. Had never even held a Bible in his hand. It wasn't too long till he prayed to receive the Lord Jesus into his life and gave his heart and life to Christ and repented of his sin. And and it's just amazing. I've seen so many Roman Catholics come to know the Lord, uh, Orthodox, uh, Eastern Orthodox, uh, people who were atheists, people who were agnostics. And you say, well, boy, you must have really put up some great apologetics. No, I, what I did is I went out there and I preached Jesus. And I didn't just preach Jesus as the creator, which is critically important. As you've heard me say on these podcasts and on broadcast and preaching, I believe it is absolutely central to what God wants us to know. But I can tell you this, it is the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, his bodily resurrection and his ascension to heaven, his promise to come again that changes lives. This is what Paul said to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Basically, he laid out the gospel, the best presentation in those opening verses of 1 Corinthians 15 that I believe is anywhere in the Word of God. Because you see, it's that element of him dying in our place as a substitution that fulfills all of the requirements that God had laid out in the Tanakh. That's the element that we have to understand. I don't care if you're a child. I don't care if you're the pastor's child or whoever you are. You're not saved until you can understand that Jesus died for your sins. That is, he took your place on the cross. He paid the penalty for your sins. You say, well, my little girl or I, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if it's my little girl. It doesn't matter if it's uh, uh, my mama. There has to be a knowledge base in order to be saved. And what you must understand is that Jesus died in your place, that he was buried, that he really did die and took your place and as your substitute and that he rose again from the dead. This is critical for understanding. That is the good news. That's the gospel. That's the euangelion. And so the apostle Paul, when he came to Corinth, he came just with that message. It was foolishness to some. It was a stumbling block to others. But to those who believed, it was life everlasting. I saw that work in San Diego. I saw God build a great church. I saw God save people from all over the world. You see, we didn't have a multicultural church. We had a multiracial church. Multiculturalism is a lie. It doesn't work in politics. It doesn't work in a national setting. It doesn't work in the church. There's one culture, and that's the Judeo-Christian teachings of the Bible that pull us together. Multicultural Culturalism is a lie. It's a communist socialistic lie. It is part of the wokeism that is sweeping across America. Let me say it again. Multiculturalism doesn't work. We don't need a hyphenated church and we don't need a hyphenated America. 
let me say that again, because I know some of you are, are really now just really upset. So let me upset you just a little bit more because I want to repeat it again. This is very important. There is no way that a hyphenated church and a hyphenated America works. I am sick of hearing, and I believe that God is sick of hearing, that we are uh, African Christians, that we are Jewish Christians, that we are Anglo Christians, that we are Australian Christians. We are either followers of Jesus or we're not. Either we are one body in Christ or we're not. We're either one new man or or we are not. We are all under the blood of Jesus, or we're not. There's no such thing in politics that is a united country. E pluribus unum doesn't mean many cultures still being many cultures. It means out of many, there's one. And that's an American. You're not an African-American. You're not an Irish-American. That's not that you forget your ancestry, but we are Americans. If you want to be an African and that's the primary way you're going to identify yourself, then you should stay in Africa. If you are a Mexican-American and you're going to fly a Mexican flag and you're going to have your Mexican heritage to mean more to you than being an American, then stay in Mexico. I'd say that to anybody. I'm not being xenophobic. I'm not being any wise racist, what I'm telling you is this is the reality of pragmatism and of truth. You see, sometimes the truth is pragmatic in the sense that it works. And the Church of Jesus in San Diego that we had was not multicultural. We were one culture, and that was the biblical culture, because we had people there that came out of Buddhism, Hinduism. We had people that came out of mysticism. We had people that came out of atheism and all the other isms, but they came under one authority, and that's the Word of God that became the final authority for their life and everything that they did. And I'm telling you, the gospel still works today. But what we need to do is preach it unashamedly, boldly, not mad, not angry, not upset, but do it with the love of Jesus in our hearts and tell men that Jesus died to take the wrath of God for them and that when he draws them to himself, if they will repent of their sins and place their trust and faith in him alone to save them, God will save them. He'll change their lives. He'll change their family. He'll change their family tree. And this is what Paul learned from Athens. I know he already knew it, but he emphasized it because he said, when I came, well, I'm not dealing anymore with all this human philosophy and trying to move people through my rhetoric. As a matter of fact, they said of Paul that his bodily presence was weak and his speech was contemptible. But yet I don't know of any man that's ever lived on earth since the Lord Jesus himself that's changed as many lives as Paul had through the preaching of the wonderful message of the Evangelion, that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, rose again on the third day, and friend, he is coming again. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.